This piece was brought to you by Roberta's, robertaspizza.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported podcast network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. This year, we're celebrating 10 years of food radio. For the past decade, we've been taking you behind the scenes of farms, restaurants, breweries, school cafeterias, and more. It's been 10 years, and we're just getting started. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome to HRN Happy Hour. It's five o'clock somewhere, and somewhere is Bushwick. Bushwick. I'm Kat Johnson. I'm here with my co-hosts, Katie Mosman Wadler. Hey, Kat. And Hannah Fortin. Happy Thursday. We did it. We did it. We made it through another week. Another week. How do we do it every week? I don't know. I don't even this know. This is how. We'd get to drink wine in the studio together yep. and hang yep. out with cool people. It helps. But we had a really fun week because yesterday we did something extra special. We did. We took a field trip. Field trip. We have some new-ish interns on our crew. We do. Uh, we like to go out into the world sometimes and see amazing things. Um, what I want to do first is introduce... Have, have Ruby and Nicole, have you guys been on a happy hour yet? First one, or one for Nicole. Okay, so we have Nicole Cornwall. Say hi. In the back, she's in the back corner of the studio. And we have Ruby Walsh joining us. First time on Happy Hour. Welcome. <laughs> whoop, whoop. And, of course, Amanda in the studio. Amanda Wang, thank you for making us sound great. Hello. Um, Amanda, like all of our staff, um, started as an intern and became an employee. Um, That's how we do it here. What? It's like, what Can we I just like, do? how crazy it's been? It's been like a year already, I've been with y'all. That's, That's crazy. crazy. That's crazy. I can't believe it. Wow. Time really flies when you're engineering at Heritage Radio Network. <laughs> so we do, wow. like I said, we do like to take the interns out of the office and studio sometimes and go on field trips. So yesterday we took an amazing field trip. We went down to the South Street Seaport. You may have heard of it. If you're a tourist, it's where you go get the water taxis. <laughs> and it's like one of the prettiest neighborhoods in Manhattan. I think we can all agree on that. It's cobbled streets. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. romantic. Sailboats. Water. Yeah, lots of like j- Japanese department stores these days, but you can you still know. get the like fish market charm yeah. of old. And we you went can take to take the ferry to Rock Rock Rockaway Beach. You can. Mm-hmm. If, if you're lucky, unless there's a line a thousand people long, like when I tried to take it. <laughs> That's why you have to go uh, at like 6.45 in the morning. Yep. Now. Yeah. Yep. Um, but we went specifically to this amazing little place in the South Street Seaport called Fulton Stall Market. And today, one of our guests is, two of our guests here are from the Fulton Stall Market. We have Jessica Shapiro and Bob Lewis. Welcome. Thank you. Say hi, Jess. She's in the back. Hello. Great to be here. Um, Also, Daisy is a huge fan of Bob's. And we're all fans of Bob's, but um, Daisy especially today is glued. She looks so happy. Look at her. She's beaming. Bob. It's it's like a three-dog night or a (laughs) ten-knuckle assault. Bob, will you have fingers left at the end of this episode? <laughs> that is my question. <laughs> yeah, I, Daisy likes to bite your hands if, you, if she's not satisfied with the amount that you're scratching her. So <laughs> that means like more back scratches, please. Okay, um, well, sure. And we have another special guest in studio, a familiar voice on many HRN shows and has been part of Happy Hour several times, the wonderful Kaylin Saunders from Escape Maker. Thank you for having me back. Woo. And there's a lot of uh, kind of cross cross-pollination that happens between Escape Maker and Fulton Stall Market. We'll get into that a little bit more. Um, first, we have a couple of announcements. Let's do chronological order. Um, Apple Palooza is coming up this weekend, and I'm going to let Kayla talk a little bit about that. because Great. Yeah. Yeah, it's this Sunday, 11 to 5. Um, if you like apples, we have apples, and we have apple donuts, uh, or I should say uh, cider donuts. Woo! Cider donut contest. So if you're feeling extra <laughs> what, competitive, is it you a cider come down. donut eating contest? Yes, cider donut eating contest, as That's well as a, a, a bunch of craft beverage producers. You can come sample and purchase. They're all New York State craft bev. Some cider. Um, just an opportunity to celebrate fall. Find out where you can go apple picking, um, including with us, but also just places to go apple picking in New York State, New York. 
Apples will be giving a free apple to everybody that comes down. Cool. And uh, yeah, we'd love to have you come out. So where exactly is Applepalooza? It's at Pier 17. Um, we'll have music, um, really family friendly, um, but also has a sort of you know craft bev side to it. So you can kind of hang out and just enjoy the, it's supposed to be like 81. So Perfect. How does one become involved in the cider donut eating? Uh, come find me. <laughs> <laughs> no, we'll be signing people up, um, and you'll get uh, a couple cider donuts and some cider to take home with you as a prize. Mm. Nice. Yeah. All the good things. Yeah. That just made me so hungry. Mm-hmm. They're uh, the best. Okay, well, that sounds amazing for this weekend. Make your plans. Also, I feel like if you want to go apple picking near New York City, like you have to make your plans now. Because it's very popular. And train tickets and ticket bundles book up very, very far in advance. We are sold out for October 5th. See? uh, But we have direct buses going from Bryant Park on October 19th and October 26th. So please book now. Book them now. Yep. And where do we book? Uh, Skatemaker.com. There you go. <laughs> I'll see you in the Apple Orchard. <laughs> You're hired, Hannah. <laughs> well, um, I was lucky great. enough to go on an Escape Maker trip up to the Hudson Valley uh, last last year? Maybe yes. the year before? I think it was, I don't yeah, remember. It was two years, I think. But it was so fun. And I'm actually from the area, and it was like still just like really fun, and I oh, learned so much and like so got to, to meet... That. Well, we go up to Dutchess County. Yeah. It's Dutchess County Tourism uh, that, that um, you know basically hosts the tours um we we facilitate them and we go to four four we have four different stops Rhinebeck and then three different farms to go either apple picking there's a cider tasting room at one of the farms um and then we go to another farm that has some farm animals there's a corn maze kind of like kind of best of fall i mean greatest hits i love that um Okay, we have one more event announcement that we've been talking about already but we're going to talk about it again because it's arguably the most important event of the year. Yeah, and we don't care if you're sick of it because it's worth it. It's going to be the best event ever. Guys, it's our 10th anniversary gala coming up on November 11th. 10 years of food radio. It's a momentous occasion, a once in a lifetime opportunity, and we are going to throw a party worthy of that occasion. Um, We're so excited. You can go to our ticket page to check out the incredible lineup of chefs and mixologists and DJs and all sorts of other amazing people who are involved. It's going to be insane. It's going to be insane. It's like all the best food, all the best people in the most beautiful place, Brooklyn Botanic Gardens, Palm House, and Yellow Magnolia Cafe, which is just absolutely Mm. lovely. A dream. The dream. Um, and you've heard us talking about our 10th anniversary Hall of Fame. The gala is going to be a really good opportunity to hang out with Hall of Famers. Um, you can meet and greet and mingle and eat snacks together and take selfies in our selfie booth together. Uh, we have some very awesome uh, celebrities coming to celebrity. Um, coming to host the VIP hour. Um, so the VIP hour start. you get to come an hour early, you get all the food an hour early, no crowds, and you get to hang out with the chefs and the Hall of Famers and mingle. Um, Nell Newman will be hosting, Sarah Moulton will be hosting, Todd Richards from Atlanta will be hosting. Woo! Also, um, Jack Inslee and Aaron Fairbanks of Heritage Radio Network. Love them. Fame, who created this whole thing with Patrick, will all be there um, and so this is a really good reason to get a VIP ticket, guys. You heard it here first. You, um, we have a code, don't we, for a happy hour, listeners? Happy hour. All one word. I think that's it. I, th- I think, it's, yeah. I thought it was HRN happy hour, but it might be happy hour. Try both. One of those two one of those is going to get you 10% off. So uh, it's worth putting in an extra little bit there. Early bird tickets um, are on sale it's now. It's going to be great. And we have, like, awesome music. The food is going to be off the hook, guys. I'm really excited. Yeah, you got to, like, start making room in your tummy now because yeah. there's, like, so, there's going to be so much good food that you're going to want to Two to three porchettas. Yeah. <laughs> How much porchetta can you eat is the real question. Oh, yeah. I'm going to say beaucoup. Um, okay, so get your tickets. Early bird tickets are on sale until October 10th. Um, so you can use both your happy hour discount code and get a discounted early bird ticket um, up until then. So go to heritageradionetwork.org slash gala. We can't wait to celebrate with all of our amazing community members. Yes. Uh, one more quick announcement before we do headlines. 
Uh, we have a Charity Buzz auction launching on Friday. We have four really incredible lots. One is a Viking River Cruise of your choice in Europe. Eight days. Incredible. One is an opportunity to go to an invite-only podcast taping of Opening Soon featuring Sean Brock, who has a new book coming out. Um, one is a all-inclusive weekend at Charleston Wine and Food Festival. And the last one is... Pizza Scott's tour. Pizza Tour Yay. for 16 people. This is incredible. Yeah. I don't so. even know 16 people. I know, right? <laughs> we did a version of the Scott's Pizza Tour. Oh, my God. We did, God. like, the mild version, and we, like, couldn't even stand up at the end. Um, just, if you want to hang out with somebody who knows everything about pizza. Literally. He's writing the, the book on pizza. Literally. And, um, you know, you can't find a better mecca for trying many different styles of pizza within a short walk than uh, Manhattan and the Lower East Side. So this is something to not be missed. Go bid on those starting on Friday, October 4th. Go big or go home. Yeah, that's right. Right, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. Yep, okay. Um, Headlines. Headlines, it's time. Let's do our headlines. Um, It's very apt that I'm starting off with opening soon. We just mentioned them, and I am wearing my Tillit Utility jumpsuit today. Um, so I'm excited to share that this week was episode 16 of Opening Soon. We heard from um, Angie Marr about how she took charge of and reimagined the traditional New York chop house, the Beatrice Inn. If you haven't been, it is amazing. Meet Mecca. Um, on episode 372 of The Farm Report, the NRDC's Eric Olson talks about the dangers of pesticides and the policies that were put in place to regulate them. And Amanda Hitt, the government accountability of the Government Accountability Project, gives a long view perspective on the new rules in pork inspection on episode 292 of What Doesn't Kill You. I love how policy have you this. You got to stay up to date. Yeah, it's perfect. Um, yeah. Speaking also, of policy, I've been following this um, fair cattle market uh, hashtag. Have you, have you guys heard about this? It's a tr- uh, Twitter campaign that some of the ranchers out west have been starting to try to get like national attention about the monopolies within meat processing, and it th- it's like a great idea to try to like get attention specifically to get the president's attention about this issue, and they picked like maybe not, not by any fault of their own, but a pretty crazy time to do that because now uh, the president's attention is clearly elsewhere, <laughs> but. Follow hashtag fair cattle markets if you want to keep up with what's going on in that sector. <laughs> really wild week, guys. Yeah. We're okay. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> you never know. Is it peach season? Is that what it? Is that what I'm hearing? Peach season? I, did you see my peach outfit? <laughs> I'm wearing peach. Did I tell you I'm allergic to peaches? <laughs> <laughs> anyway. What, what about in peaches? Oh, no, those. I have no issue with those. <laughs> You're good with in peaches? <laughs> yeah. In fact, uh, they, they, help, they help cure me of my peach allergy. Mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. There were a little mint in there. An impeachment pie? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm, sounds delicious. Mm. Okay. All right. We're moving on. Guys are amazing. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, so we heard a little bit from Kaylin already about Applepalooza. Ooh. We're going to get more into what um, what Escape Maker, where they can take you, what you can do with Escape Maker. But Bob, I want to turn to you. Um, we heard a lot about kind of your journey yesterday, but can you give us kind of the synopsis of your career trajectory specifically i'd love to hear kind of about the green markets and how that all got started in new york city something that we kind of take for granted today well i'd actually like to start before that since you mentioned the brooklyn botanic garden yeah uh very important part of my life uh when i was very young i think around 10 that's about as young as i can still remember but i was a gardener in the Brooklyn Children's Garden, oh, really? which was the first children's garden in the United States established at a botanical garden. Wow. This was a historic thing. And 1920 was when the Brooklyn Botanic Garden set up, in effect, a program uh, for children to garden and learn where their food was coming from and get their hands dirty and plant a seed and watch that seed become a carrot and then pull that carrot and eat that carrot. And, you know, I have to say, of course, I believe in no child left inside. And uh, that means get out there, uh, not just read books about things, but uh, do them. Uh, 
experiential learning. And, and I have to say, they were way ahead of things. And for me, I think this influenced me all through my later decisions to become a geology student, to become an ecological planner um, in grad school, and then ultimately, who knows, you know, through serendipity, a couple of people think together and come up with thoughts. So Green Market actually uh, uh, derived from two people, Barry Benepe, uh, may know that name, his son Adrian uh, was the Parks Commissioner under Mayor Bloomberg. Um, still active today with the Trust for Public Land, and Barry is 90 years old, and I'm 73. But when we were, you know, 44 years ago, uh, we uh, were sitting around and thinking, uh, what are the things that um, we feel could um, bring back vitality to cities that could restore uh, the connection between small farmers and the public in cities? Um, and provide uh, customers and with, with connection to the foods that they'd lost completely. That is, the heritage of those foods. And speaking of heritage, I mean, we're talking about varieties of apples that you don't normally see in stores. And uh, you name the item, whether it's a potato, something out of the commodity category, something that's been kept alive by small farmers. So. Uh, putting together our backgrounds and our thoughts and our experiences both in Europe, in the U.S., uh, on farms, in markets, uh, we realized that as planners there was something really missing here and, and ultimately it came uh, to us that uh, reviving the public market, reviving the open public market in New York City uh, was a real necessary step and uh, that was 1975-76. Um, and uh, as planners, we, we had some connections to city government. Uh, we used them, and um, lo and behold, uh, we, we got it done. But in order to do that, someone had to go out and sit around on back porches with farmers. Someone <laughs> had to sit inside offices with city bureaucrats. Someone had to uh, find a little money from some nonprofit foundations. We have to credit the, the Kaplan Foundation going way, way back. J.M. Kaplan and the Astor Foundation, Fund for the City of New York. These are organizations that enabled us to pull this together. And, of course, the farmers who um, had to uh, trust us, you know, because the 70s was not an easy time in New York. There were a lot of tabloid headlines saying, well, you can imagine, someone yeah. shot, someone mugged, uh, and that all sort of got out there, right? Who so, was harder to convince, the, like the city and the people in the city or the farmers? Actually, it was interesting. It was the farmers because the city had uh, already uh, woken up to the need for environmental policy. This was mid-'70s, and, of course, Earth Day was 1970. Uh, an organization that's still around, the Council on the Environment of New York, which is known as Grow NYC, uh, was established uh, within the mayor's office as a nonprofit, a very unusual concept to have a nonprofit in the mayor's office working on environmental programs that, that were not quite ready for prime time, but could be cultivated. We're talking about community gardening. We're talking about recycling. We're talking about environmental education in the schools and green markets. So what happened was the city was ready for this. The city was already exploring what it needed to do, environmental policy. And this is environmental policy when you think about it. Uh, farming, you know, farmers are really environmentalists. Uh, we need to understand that. They're, they, you know, uh, they've reduced, for example, vastly their use of, of chemicals. Uh, the whole organic movement uh, resulted from their becoming aware of, of, of opportunities other than commercial systems and pesticides. And so on. Anyway, we reached out. It was the farmers who were the hardest to convince because of that negative publicity that, that uh, unfortunately, cities had, all cities, frankly. But, you know, it took that kind of hand-holding and, kind of, and you need, just like you guys, you know, you're making us feel friendly and, and welcome here. And uh, that's what we had to do uh, with those farmers. We had to say, look, we, we know the city and we know who's there and we know that once you're there, you'll be appreciated and people will buy your product. And that's what happened. The first day was a riot. I mean, this was... July in 1976, and then Union Square, the second market, opened in just after that, a month later. Almost a riot. I mean, people just 
grabbing. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I think the farmers said we found our, our audience. That's awesome. Um, so talk a little bit now about what you're doing with Fulton Stall Market. You elaborated about how sort of the relationship between Fulton Stall and the developer and the city kind of all works in, you know, together. How did that come to be? Right. I mean, again, you know, it's helpful to have the support of public officials uh, in doing anything that's big. I mean, it's also great to have, you know, grassroots projects, uh, you know, sprouting up so that people see how important uh, things can be. Uh, you know, this is a case where uh, city officials, uh, principally the then Speaker of the City Council, Christine Quinn, uh, recognized that markets had, in fact, revitalized uh, all of New York City. By then, uh, and you could see in the National Geographic, the map, I helped them do it, uh, that the city uh, around then had, oh, 150 markets in, in neighborhoods, not just Midtown, not just Union Square, but you name the neighborhood. Bushwick, for example, yeah. uh, South Bronx, East Harlem, uh, Far Rockaway, Coney Island, um, uh, and northern Manhattan. The city was welcoming the farmers, and it took, obviously, in each case, effort to work with community boards to convince people of the, the value of, of this, and then they saw the results. So the Speaker of City Council recognized this. She was responsible for uh, helping to support the expansion of what we called wireless EBT, which was the ability to, to, use, to swipe a debit card uh, that connects you as a as a participant in in the SNAP program, formerly the food stamp program, and be able to use those dollars to buy local from a farmer. So this speaker of this city council had really found uh, in markets a, a real champ a cause to to champion. So when it came to um, and the opportunity to um, uh, incorporate a market in, in, the, in the area down uh, along Fulton and South Streets in the old South Street Seaport neighborhood that was the home to so much New York City market history, especially the Fulton Fish Market. She didn't uh, budge. She knew that she had a, a developer there that uh, had a lease uh, for reviving the seaport area beginning in the 1980s. This was actually the, th the, th the uh, second, third developer um, there. But she put an obligation on that, that developer to revive a market, to revive a public market, and uh, a daily public market, not just a once-a-week market, but something that was operational every day. And to us, that meant, to me, that meant the opportunity to revive what we call public markets, which are everyday indoor and outdoor markets. And... Folks in listening may know of markets all over the country, Pike Place Market, Seattle, and Ferry Terminal in, in San Francisco, uh, gr the great markets in, uh, in, in, in along the eastern seaboard up in Boston, the, the new nonprofit uh, Boston Public Market, the, uh, the, uh, the Reading Terminal in Philadelphia, the markets in Baltimore, and then all over in the south where the, the markets have long been operating. You know, these are indoor-outdoor markets where vendors or producers, to some extent, sell directly and have a year-round operation. So New York has these. New York does still have these that were established in the 40s by Mayor LaGuardia. Uh, those of you in New York may know the Essex Market, which just have found a new home. And then some others may know of some others way up in the Bronx in the, that real foodie neighborhood, the Arthur Avenue, mm -hmm. very, very famous Italian neighborhood, which has its own New York City-built indoor public market. And then East Harlem had La Marchetta. Uh, there's even one around here, which many people don't even know exists, the Moore Street Market, not far from here, mm -hmm. Moore Street. So th this, this idea, in effect, was in that, um, in the, in, in that context. Let's do something like that in, the, in lower Manhattan. So I was asked, uh, in this case by the developer, had I uh, to advise on how to do this. And uh, we've been gradually building this concept out, having an outdoor market on Sundays and having an indoor small-scale and consignment market to begin with, a store, a country-like store, with products from many, many multiple uh, local farms and small-scale food entrepreneurs from the city who are using kitchen incubators here. Many women, many minority-owned uh, businesses whose products are on the shelf there as a way of getting them out into the marketplace before they can take hold in a larger, uh, a larger way. So, so we're having fun Bob, with this. Can you please describe visually what it is like to walk into the indoor portion of the Fulton Stall Market? Like, 
because we all got to experience this yesterday, but for our listeners, we don't know what they're picturing. We open the door. Well, what do we see? <laughs> first of all, it's an old uh, white door, like a Dutch door. It's not a glass door. So I noticed the Washington Post, which, which wrote a little item about this, when you visit New York, visit the Full Install Market, mm-hmm. it says it's a, uh, an obscure, white, heavy door. Um, and, and that is a sort of a visual barrier. But once you open that, uh, you know, it's a small place. Uh, it's it's a warm uh, inside in, in the in the lighting sense. The walls are brick. The floors are wood. Um, it's an old, uh, deep storefront. Uh, it's actually in the location of the f- in, uh, of the famous iconic uh, s- Sloppy Louis restaurant. <laughs> Some of you may remember. That's a whole story in itself, and just. Google that. Look, look uh, at Sloppy Louis uh, uh, in the old days. But as you walk in, you know, it's maybe a country store feeling uh, with shelves of wood. Uh, uh, there are coolers and freezers that have been provided by the farmers with their own products in those coolers and freezers. So the model is different than any other store you'd walk into because it's, a, in effect, a farmer's market. Uh, without the farmers present, exactly, since it's seven days a week, but their products are representing them. And uh, if you check these out in the front, you, you buy some, the money is going straight to those producers. So if you go buy something from eight different people, it's going to go to those eight people. And uh, we're taking a very small percentage of that, the nonprofit organization that's operating it. Can you also talk about the wonderful cafe? Well, we, you know, we, we added some equipment in the back thinking that, look, you know, this is a, a neighborhood which, which needs to serve everyone. In fact, all neighborhoods do. Here we are in Roberta's. People are enjoying their, their, uh, their food. Uh, you know, there are people who are um, uh, working in the neighborhood, and they may not want to buy a turkey or a chicken or some veggies or beef because they're going to go home to their neighborhoods and buy it. But they might want to buy a sandwich or a soup or a salad made from those items, and we'd like to introduce them to those foods without them having to actually buy the item. Tourists also are not going to jump on the plane, you know, with a leg of lamb. I mean, I might. (laughs) (laughs) Our listeners might, but every tourist is coming thinking they're going to walk away from the seaport with frozen meat under their arm. Well, we we have had many saying, I wish I could take this on the plane. You know, Mm -hmm. this is so great. This is Hudson Valley. This is Fat Apple Farm. This is Grenade Farm. These are these are amazing farms whose products are in there, you know, uh, you, you know, uh, cheeses, uh, meats, and veggies. So PSA this, this people, you can bring it on the plane, and you should. <laughs> and maybe we should do an episode where we talk about travel hacks oh, for moving food around. I like that. But uh, I'm just putting out that, uh, you know. Take food home from your vacation. Don't take that. But we do have some smaller items that they could do. Yeah. You know, we have honeys, we have maple syrups, and we have, you know, uh, some specialty sauces. What's really interesting is the uh, entrepreneurs in the city are a real amazing uh, uh, group, and they have revived, in a sense, uh, you know, an industry uh, here by having access to incubator kitchens. And it just took a retail outlet for them to, to, to get their product out there. This isn't their only retail outlet, but it could be their first. And you see them also in the outdoor market on Sunday. So let's not forget that. Come down there. This Appapalooza that you mentioned is a larger expansion of the usual Sunday market. So what we do is every Sunday we're out, out there at the uh, tip of Fulton Street on Pier 17 Square. And uh, there's a market there with these food entrepreneurs and some farmers. But on occasion, we have a marvelous opportunity to showcase visitors from upstate. And, and this is what Applepalooza is about. And so on a daily basis, too, anybody can walk in and see the Agritourism Center inside of the Fulton Stall Market. Kaylin, can you talk about that and then also tell us yeah. more about that? We, we heard about Applepalooza. What else is coming up? Sure. So Bob and I actually met about 10 years ago. Um, uh, he had told me about an agritourism grant, um, basically to promote all the different foods and beverages. Um, we met at a, uh, I think, an Amtrak day. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, my focus at, at, at that point had been um, getting people out of the city um, without a car. So that was very attractive to me. And um, over the last 10 years, we really have focused on places that you can get to not only by public transit, but also um uh, farms and craft beverage trails 
And so as Bob was, you know, getting, uh, you know, developing Fulton Stall Market, um, we, I had suggested, why don't we bring our annual um, events that we had already been doing with, within Green Market to Fulton Stall Market so that we could bring down some of these craft beverage makers and producers and farms, um, give them some exposure in, into a, a, you know, the city market, um, maybe potentially, you know, hook them into Fulton Stall Market um, in, in dist the district, you know, their distribution. Um, and so we started producing these events, Applepalooza being one of them. And then, um, I don't know, Bob, if you want to speak to, uh, we also then connected with um, uh, EDC uh, to produce these public market uh, events that are coming up over the next few months. And for listeners who might not be familiar, um, can you give us like a Reader's Digest version of what the EDC is? I'm going to let sure, Bob take sure. it. <laughs> sure, sure. EDC stands for Economic Development Corporation. It's New York City's um, agency for development, economic development, and you know, they do many, many things, including running the ferry system that you may see their logo up there, um, which is considered, you know, a, a development project that, that has many other aspects to it. But EDC actually also operates those public markets that we mentioned earlier. They inherited this network from, you might say, another era. And that era, believe it or not, the city of New York had a department of markets. You know, if there was a Department of Markets when we started Green Market, it, there would have been somebody in the system who understood that. But by the time we got around to that in the 70s, the city had kind of lost any real awareness uh, of the role of markets in incubating business, and especially a connection with local agriculture. But EDC ultimately inherited the operation of these indoor places that uh, the Mayor LaGuardia had built. And by the way, that story is fascinating. There were the days of the pushcart markets, and at some point, um, even way before that is a whole story too, but in the 40s, the mayor of New York decided to say, hmm, let's build them an indoor space. You know, maybe the streets are no place for these pushcarts, so let's sanitize it. Mm -hmm. uh, and in fact, it, it was not a bad idea. If you go to Europe, if you go to Florence, if you go to Mexico City, if you go to many, where, uh, many places, you will find indoor markets just like this. So EDC operates that network. EDC is sort of reviving it. EDC is happy to see, I don't want to speak for them, but you can tell they, they are proud to see the revival of the Moore Street, uh, of the sorry, Essex market. I think they want to see the Moore Street market revived too. Mm -hmm. They would like to promote the vendors in those markets. Many of them are, you know, a long-time uh, New York City uh, small businesses uh, who have been in these markets. And these markets are community community markets. They are places where you can meet people, just like at Union Square. So we're showcasing them. Kalen's and I are working together, and um, we're going to have some events this fall uh, out there on Pier 17, which in fact uh, showcase. They're going to be called. Uh, the New York City Public Markets uh, Festival uh, on uh, October 13th, on uh, November 3rd, and on December 8th, same location. Um, and then be we great. also have a series of four uh, events, smaller events that are actually inside Fulton Stall Market that are more of an intimate uh, tasting evening, a talk and tasting evening. Um, and these will be producers from all these various markets that Bob mentioned. Which you don't get to meet unless you go and visit these these far-flung markets. And one thing I want to talk about a little bit, too, is obviously there's a lot of events that happen in the city. You know, meet people mm -hmm. where they are. It's a really important part yeah. of this work. But can you talk more about Escape Makers' sort of, like, trips to get people sure. out of the city? Because I think yeah. that's – we talk so much about, like, the sort of urban-rural divide. Yes. And I think – we have all these farmers that come to market, yes. and that's a really important part of that. But like, why can't we reciprocate and get people upstate? Yes, so that's that's where Escape Maker comes in. Um, as I was mentioning, we met ten years ago on this sort of agritourism initiative. So we actually have a pop up shop within Fulton Stall Market that is, um, you know, a little corner where you can come in anytime and pick up different guides, uh, different, you know, maps and guides, and and inspire you to get away either with your family or. Uh, you know, for couples or, or seniors um, to take trips and to find out where your food comes from and to actually um, envision you, yourself getting out of the city. So whether that's taking a tour with us um, or getting online and, and researching that trail yourself, uh, we really obviously advocate uh, by public transit if you can mm -hmm. because we're, you know, 
um, just very supportive of lowering your carbon footprint as you as you travel. But there are plenty of places to go within, we say, within a day's drive or train ride of New York City. So that's really our focus. So, but we also have a focus of farm and craft bev, and um, or even you know restaurants or inns that actually source. Uh, so any packages that we feature, we try and make sure that that bed and breakfast or that inn is sourcing locally. And that's really been our focus for the last 10 years. Amazing. Um, so we've been thinking a lot lately, before we get to our trivia segment, we've been thinking a lot lately about good food news because we often hear so many things about like what's wrong with the food system. We have to fix the food system. We talk a lot about the problems because that's important to talk about. But... We also want to talk about things that are going really well to make ourselves feel better and to celebrate the fact that things are changing in a positive direction. I want to give each of you the opportunity to, you know, shout out something that you, like a recent sort of news story or some something within the movement that you think is really worth celebrating. Mm. You want to go? <laughs> um, I would actually say the Cider Bus uh, within uh, that uh, Visit Ithaca is initiating. They have um, really spearheaded this um, kind of renaissance of, of kind of the epicenter for cider and agritourism and have really just um, put so much energy into not only supporting their producers but education. Um, we actually have invited um, one of their farmers. We also do an agritourism training so if anybody wants to come online and um, you can download 12 different workshops on how to build your agritourism business. And they were actually one of the, insp uh, you know, they actually inspired that because of, of their work. We thought, hey, people um, really want to learn about cider and want to learn about where their food comes from. So they're actually running a cider bus from the city directly up to Ithaca. And I just see that as not only tapping into people who are um, maybe concerned about transportation and how to get around, um, but also just, you know, extending the hand downstate to say, hey, we have so much going on up here. Come up and see what we're up to. Get some fresh air, learn, um, and then go back and, and feel like, you know, you, you're relaxed and refreshed and renewed. And so I feel like of all the, the people that I've seen in the last year that kind of get where what I would love to see, you know, most people do, they're, they're, they're ahead of the curve right now. There's so many good things happening, actually. Um, I could say that on one level, the hemp revolution is bringing a lot of uh, positive uh, hope and energy to a lot of upstate and northeast farmers. Uh, you can see a huge interest in that. I mean, these are waves, you know. We've seen uh, after the revolution in, in small uh, winery uh, from a group of 10 to 300, another revolution of uh, craft beer, uh, craft cider, craft distilled foods. This is, you know, these are uh, extraordinary uh, movements uh, that have helped uh, rural development in, in a big way. Uh, and, and I'd have to say that's something that you're seeing happen nationally. Uh, the farmer's market movement is strong, and uh, it needs to keep staying strong. And, and there's good news everywhere with that, because as long as they are there, um, people have access. We, we need to keep that rolling. I'd say that the um, extraordinary um, attraction of younger people into agriculture these days, people who are quite educated, who want to get away from a nine-to-five lifestyle, who want to uh, contribute and who are capable of, of multitasking, working long hours, but seeing the independence of farming uh, benefit everyone, not just themselves, uh, raising a family. I mean, we've seen an extraordinary... Um, revival of this, whether it's in the Adirondacks of places you might not think, along uh, Lake Champlain, we had our, a big event with the Adirondack farmers here, uh, an escape maker and Fulton Stall Market event on August 11th. They were down here. You, you know, you can't but help be amazed by uh, a couple thousand acre farm in Essex County along Lake Champlain with a giant CSA in New York City. We'd like to see them have more members with weekly delivery. I mean, that is amazing passion and, um, and, and expertise. I'd also like to say that we've seen a huge uh, growth in the number of youth markets. Now, folks may not know what that is, uh, but you know what's been happening in New York City um, is uh, growth in the number of youth farm stands that are actually substituting for 
markets where there aren't enough markets or farmers to go around. So we have uh, young people in their late teens, early 20s, being paid to operate a, a, a real farmer's market with uh, real produce from the farms delivered by Grow NYC farmers. And we're seeing that uh, t taking root everywhere. I, I was just at Farm Aid uh, in Wisconsin, and, and this is the whatever year. I mean, we started adding uh, the youth market into the Farm Aid Festival in 2007 when we were in New York, and Willie Nelson and uh, Dave Matthews, Neil Young, and, and John Mellencamp, they're all very involved and excited to see this youth generation take, uh, you know, an interest in, in food. This is uh, both rural and urban youth. We're talking future farmers of America, kids from the Grange, but also kids doing urban gardening in Milwaukee or, or in, uh, you know, in Connecticut, in, in, in Hartford. So I have to say there's a lot of great op opportunity to grow that, and it's exciting to see that. I, I feel so hopeful now. That is a lot of good news. And we didn't get to talk much about Farm Aid, but don't worry. We're going to do more We're with Farm Aid. We're going to have you back. We will be talking about Farm Aid in the future. Don't worry. My name is Brandon Hoy, co-owner of Roberta's, a super duper awesome place. Roberta's is a very, 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 very proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. We're also super awesome. Thank you, Heritage. Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. My name is Linda Liu, and I'm the host of Feast Meets West the show that celebrates Asian culture through the lens of food here on HRN. Listen to episodes like The Evolution of Chinatown with Numwa Tea Parlors, Wilson Tang, and New York Times' Elaine Chen. Catch our ongoing series, Women in Asian Food, and spotlight episodes with our heroes like Anita Lowe. You can find Feast Meets West wherever you listen to podcasts, and on heritageradionetwork.org. And fall asleep just to wake up. So, before we run out of time, we have some trivia for you. And we'll do it pretty quick because we know we're on the clock. Okay. Ooh. Our trivia theme today. Uh, no one's seen the answers except for me, correct? I accidentally Some, saw one of them, so I will recuse myself from that question. Ruby wrote the trivia, so she won't be answering. <laughs> I'm Every, your phone a friend, guys. Everyone else you. is on yeah. your team. So it's a team sport. It's not competitive, except a little bit. Okay, the theme is fall. It's fall, y'all. Okay, question number one. How many individual apples does it take to create one gallon of apple juice? You should. We all look I at Kayla. really should know this. Okay, make a guess, Kaylin. I believe in you. Oh how, sorry, how many apples or how... How many, many apples does it take to create one gallon of apple juice? A pint's a pound the world around. <laughs> um, I'm just going to roughly guess and say 100. Okay. Ooh. That sounds Anybody true. else want to guess? Sure. I'm guessing 30. Hmm. Katie's closer and Price is Right rules. I was right going to say 50, actually. <laughs> 70. 40. Uh, okay. Uh, Ruby, did you have an addition to that? It's apple cider. Apple cider. Oh, oh okay. I, I know this because we made micro batches of hard cider in our apartment last oh. fall. And okay. uh, we, made, we got a tiny, tiny little press on Amazon. Yes, <laughs> you must be using bigger apples. Yeah, I think they I was going to say, I think yeah. it depends on the apple. Last year's crop, they were pretty small. True. <laughs> All right, question number two. Who provides the backup vocals on Neil Young's famous song, Harvest Moon? Mm. You should know that. This is a far, far mm. made, far made tie in. Yeah, that's way back. It's Harvest uh, Moon in the 70s, right? I believe so. You want me to give you initials? Yeah. LR. Wow. Uh, wait a minute. We're talking about the band, or possibly members of the band. No. 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 Okay. She from Texas? 
It's a good yep. question. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This is the one I accidentally saw. Do you want a you want a really good hint? You can give a better this hint than terrible. me. Well, uh, a very, very famous for a duet that she performed with Kermit the Frog. Boy, um, come on, Kaylin. Loretta Young. Come on, Kaylin. Loretta Young, no. This is Harvest no. Moon, and I just heard him singing, too. Man, but this was But now. she wasn't there, I guess. No, that's the thing. Elmore. I'm just thinking of him. First name, Linda. Linda. Ronstadt. That's it! Well, you know, she's great. <laughs> she's a documentary, Sorry, too, but man. at least I got her last name. Absolutely. That documentary is great, by the way. And, uh, okay. you know, uh, wow. Okay, <laughs> question number three. Woodstock. What? That's true. <laughs> question number three. What is another name for a full harvest moon? It's very similar to that, just slightly different. Jeez. Uh, is it like a not corn a moon? What? Yes. Oh, wait, well, really? They're Ding. Full corn moon. Oh, done and done. Nice. Do you know okay, why great. it's called that? No. Because uh. that's when you have corn? That's right. What? Yay. And it would be a blue moon if there were two during that month. A full blue corn moon. Yep. Mm -hmm. Oh. And blue corn is fantastic, yeah. isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Love all corn. Okay, question number four. <laughs> what is the name of Simon and Garfunkel's 1966 autumnal theme song? I think Bob's got it. I like that Bob keeps looking at Kayla. Like, <laughs> Come on. Wait, Simon and Garfunkel. Simon and Barfunkel. <laughs> Barfunkel. Simon and Garfunkel. Sorry, that's a tongue twister. Oh, Parsley, Sage, Rosemary, and Thyme. Oh, Scarborough Fair? No. No. Come on. I'll give you the initials of the song. Okay. L-T-A-R. No, sorry. L-T-A-G. Come on, anyone else? All the leaves are brown. No, that's, oh, that's close. All the leaves are brown. All the leaves Wait. are brown. Nope, Jeez. but that's close. Is that how it starts? That's California tree. <laughs> leaves are G. Green. green. There you go. All oh. the leaves are green. Oh, man. Yeah. Leaves that are green. That's like the so B true. side. You chose a B side um, song. Hey, it's all Ruby. Decades. Uh, I wish my cousin were here. <laughs> if Good. my cousin, next time invite my cousin, please. We will. Anytime. Really? All right, last question. How much of Iowa's land is devoted to farming? Price is right rules. Closest without going over. Mm, 95. 72. Plus. Katie, you want to give an answer? Hannah? Yeah, I'm, I, I'm like 80, 80 something. Mm, I don't, I've li I just, I've never, okay. I've never in my life. It's a lot of farmland in Iowa. 95%. 98. Nope. The right answer. Who went lowest? I said 72. Wait, you mean working farmland or potential farmland now? Ah. About 85% of Iowa's land is used for farming. Okay. Most oh. for okay. corn and soybeans, so right. mostly commodity. But Okay, I think so we've all won, really. Yeah. Yeah. You all won. Congratulations. We were close. Bob Excellent. You have won trivia. Excellent job. <laughs> wow. We've got to wrap because, Bob, you're headed to an opera performance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You are singing the Constitution. We are singing the Constitution. You know US what I'm going to ask you next. Yep. You know. Which is my favorite you know. amendment. No, I would ask you to sing no, us no, 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 no. your that favorite amendment. Impossible. Please, no, I, I know it's possible. We're all begging you. I don't know. I have to find I know, an amendment but to sing. I know you have a pocket Constitution well, I don't, right there. I actually don't. <laughs> sing us out, Bob. <laughs> no. <laughs> I just think people should come tonight. That's I mean, right. This that's is right. Really Can you give the details for the performance in case anyone's in the hood? Vertical Player Repertory Opera, vpropera.org. I mean, this is the U.S. Constitution. If there is a time to read it, in this case, you don't have to read it. You can just sit there and enjoy it, and it is really interesting. <laughs> there's swing, there's blues, there's jazz, there's classical, there's uh, a feeling of... Uh, of Handel in here, I mean, you know, the Imagineless Messiah, but, uh, you know, there, there's uh, just about every amendment, uh, and not to mention, you know, the beginning, we the people of the United States, so in order to form a right? more perfect union, establish justice. <laughs> hmm. okay. I mean, this thing has got to be sold out. Are there tickets? 
Can people go uh, to the door? If not tonight, yeah, I'd say so. Go to the door and see what you can do. It's an indie and you opera have company. One more performance. One right? more on Saturday night. Yeah. Okay. Saturday night would be September twenty eighth. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Um, and and let's give credit to the composer Ben Yarmolinsky, who is famous for setting uh, documents, uh, legal documents to music, such as the Clarence Thomas Anita Hill hearings, totally to uh, music as operetta or opera. And so this is, um, we're all uh, signers, in effect, of uh, the Declaration, not the, the Constitution, and, uh, you know, we are um, uh, making sure that uh, people know uh, what our rights are and uh, what the Constitution says about uh, impeachment and uh, high crimes and misdemeanors. Good time to know those things, and there's truly nothing more dramatic than American politics right now. <laughs> Uh, okay, make sure you go see Bob's opera. It sounds amazing. Thank you, Bob. Thank you, Kaylin. Thank you, guys. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Jess. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Amanda. Thank you, Ruby. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you, Hannah. Thank and you, Kat. And a happy 5780. Mm. What does that mean? It's the Jewish New Year. <gasps> Yay! Oh. Okay, that's our show. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. This program is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. <laughs>